0: You're listening to A Catholic Bible Study on the Gospel of Matthew with Scripture scholars Dr. Tim Gray and Dr. Michael Barber. This podcast is produced by the Augustine Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustine Institute, and joining me is Dr. Michael Barber, who is a professor of scripture here at the August Institute, and we're going to continue our ongoing Bible study on the Gospel of Matthew. And this has been an intense Bible study, uh, Michael, has. because we're, I think we're on episode, I don't know, what is it now, 38? It's getting close to the end, 37. So uh, we're hoping that we can finish with 40 as a biblical It's amazing. Member.
1: We've been doing this since before COVID really hit, yeah. so I feel like... This has been something that uh, we've been at for a while now.
0: Yeah, so, that, that's yeah. a marker. It's like pre-flood. <laughs> right. I mean, pre-COVID <laughs> right. is is epic distinction now. Before
1: COVID, BC. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> so you know, last time we covered Matthew chapter twenty-six, and we went all the way through as Jesus is is being um, tried and mocked, and we saw at the end that he was being mocked as a prophet. And then what follows is that last little section of chapter twenty-six, and we mentioned this that Peter is denying Jesus three times mm-hmm. in the courtyard of the high priest um, at fulfilling Jesus's prophecy to him at the at the Last Supper. And that, of course, is an ironic truth because Jesus is being mocked as a prophet mm-hmm. as his prophecy is being fulfilled and Peter's denying him. And that sets mm-hmm. us up for chapter 27. That's right. Mm-hmm. You want to take us to 27? There's a nice opening there that's going to quote.
1: I think this is important. So we have, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him. And the Greek word there is paradidomi. Mm -hmm. They delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Now, this evokes Jesus's earlier passion predictions. Anyone who's been following story closely, knows that Jesus has announced that what happens here was going to transpire. We go back to, say, chapter 20. In Matthew 20, Jesus says, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him—there's that language Mm -hmm. again—deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked. So, deliver him over to the Gentiles, this is precisely what is happening. They're leading him out to hand him over to the Gentiles. And as we've mentioned, that identity of Jesus as the Son of Man reminds us of a prophecy we find in the book of Daniel. There we read about how the Son of Man is given the kingdom that lasts forever. But if we read that passage very closely, we see the Son of Man in many ways, stands in the place of the righteous, of the saints. So at the end of the chapter, we read that the vision is all about how the saints will receive the kingdom. Well, the Son of Man received the kingdom. So we see the Son of Man represents the saints. One of the interesting things in that passage is in Daniel 7, we hear that the saints will be delivered into the hands of the beast, who's a Gentile ruler, Gentile kingdom, and Gentile king. And so uh, what happens to the saints in Daniel seven is what happens precisely to Jesus. Jesus embodies what will mm. what the righteous, what the saints are going to undergo. And there's a, a, a other side to this. We too are called mm. to enter into that suffering. And so, by renouncing Jesus in the mm. garden, Peter is trying to avoid the fate yeah. that is for the saints, and um, and Jesus embraces it.
0: So this language of being handed over, which is paradidome, this language is, uh, and what you're speaking of, Daniel's an important prophecy, and Daniel's foretelling the fate of Israel, Mm -hmm. and that Israel is going to suffer four different kingdoms that Mm -hmm. will rule over them and and afflict them. And the fourth beast, which is the fourth kingdom Mm -hmm. in the imagery of Daniel, uh, even the son of man will be handed over, because the people of God are going to be handed over. And so Jesus sees his handing over, as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. That's right. In uh, Jesus's
1: day, that prophecy was understood to refer to the Romans. So you look at Jewish sources, early Christian sources, they interpret this as a a prophecy about the fourth kingdom being Rome and how it will persecute God's people. What's amazing is nowhere in Daniel 7 is a son of man portrayed as suffering, right? mm -hmm. And so you can understand how... In, in Jewish sources, the Son of Man represents the Messiah, and he comes victorious. He comes uh, to sit on the throne. He represents the victory over the enemies. It's it's not until we see what Jesus does that we really get the sense that the Son of Man shares in the suffering of the people.
0: I think yeah, and I think that I, I think that's in Daniel seven, but it, it's right. It's it, implicit. It's, it's implicit because you have four beasts, and each individual beast represents an entire people like the Romans mm-hmm. and a, a nation. And so the son of man, I think the Jews would say, represents Israel because right. Israel is the true humanity. Right. And uh, and so once you understand that, and then you go back and you realize Jesus identifies himself as the son of man who is handed over like the saints right. uh, in Daniel seven. Right. Then you realize that the son of man is going to represent the people of Israel and he's gonna share their fate. Yeah, he will be you, handed over to the Gentiles. And that's what's so important about the chief priests handing jesus over to a roman official right is handing him over to rome to that's that fourth right beast
1: yeah just to be clear in daniel 7 there's um a little bit of ambiguity right because uh in in some passages the fourth beast is described as a fourth kingdom so we see that in daniel seven twenty three that the the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom but Later on, we read that the fourth beast is also a fourth king. And so what we see is that kings can be representative of all the people of the whole kingdom. And Jesus then is, as the son of man, he is the, the, the king. He's the one who's given the kingdom, but he also represents all the saints. He represents all those in the kingdom. And so one of the things that you often hear is that Jesus suffered so we don't have to. That's not the case, right? In some non-Catholic Christian theology, Jesus suffers on the cross in our place so that we don't have to suffer. And this is the idea behind the rapture, right? That the righteous will be taken up into heaven before that period of tribulation comes. But Jesus actually shows us, no we are called to share in his suffering. We are called to pick up our own cross and, and follow and after, after him. And that's the
0: means by which we share in Jesus's glory, right? Amen. There's no glory without the cross. And so right. God does not uh, make, a, make it such that we don't participate in his suffering mm-hmm. and in his cross. He actually calls us to share it. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. So now as we... And then, of course, there's echoes here, and we'll talk about it maybe in chapter 28, but the idea of the gathering of the chief priests and the elders, taking Mm -hmm. counsel against Jesus, this is going to allude to Psalm 2, but I want to move a little faster, uh, and we'll come back to that thread. Sorry, once Daniel
1: comes up, I slow things down. (laughs) I I love Daniel.
0: (laughs) We'll we'll come back to to Psalm 2. Uh, but next thing happens is Matthew, and this is kind of unique to Matthew, he's going to give us a significant digression about the fate of Judas. That's right. So let's look at that. He says, then when Judas, his betrayer, literally his hander over right in the Greek, mm-hmm. um, using that language that we see in, in Daniel 7 of handing over, uh, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went. Now you think, oh, maybe he's repenting and right. he recognizes his sin. But right. then here's the great danger. It's great to recognize our sin and to humble ourselves before the Lord. But then we have to entrust ourselves to God's mercy. And this is where Judas makes a fateful mistake. Right? He doesn't trust God's mercy. And he sees that his sin is bigger than God's mercy, and he despairs.
1: That's right. And so he hangs himself, right? He commits suicide, dying in the same way that David's betrayer died, Ahithophel. And here we have a stark contrast between Peter, who repents, he goes out, he weeps bitterly after he has betrayed Jesus, after he denies Jesus, yet Peter is able to be restored, not because of Peter, but because of the Lord. Peter trusts in the mercy of God. Judas, as you said, despairs of this. And, you know, it might just also be worth noting. He says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And I just, we don't have time. But if we did, I would go through all the various texts from the Second Temple period, from Jesus' day, right, where the worst sin that you can commit involves Innocent blood, being defiled by innocent blood, this is what, more than anything else, brings down the, the wrath of God. And this is why, for example, earlier in the narrative in Matthew 23, Jesus talked about how innocent blood had been shed mm-hmm. and how because of the blood of Abel and Zechariah who were murdered, um, uh, judgment will come. So Judas recognizes the weight of, of what he's been involved in here, the problem that he has is he's as you said so well, he he's not rec- he's not able to see that God's mercy is greater than his own sin.
0: Mm. And then we Matthew gives us a couple of the details. The, you know, the chief priests take the pieces of silver and says it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. Um, and it's right. interesting. I mean, the irony here is it's blood money because they paid the blood money. I <laughs> mean, right. the the great paradox here is that. They're the ones guilty. Right. And they recognize. Of using the treasure. And think about that. They used the money of the temple treasury well, to betray the Lord of the temple.
1: Right. So many people have pointed out that Judas comes and what does he do? He throws down the silver pieces in the temple. Well, if it's blood money, what, what's going on here is now the temple is in a way defiled by blood. And so. There's a connection between Jesus's death and the demise of the temple. The temple is destroyed in AD 70, and that event is going to be um, sort of signified in in the Passion narrative, as we'll see in in an episode where the temple veil is torn.
0: I want to move on now because... Just for the sake of time, sure. um, we don't want to spend five episodes on... on and Judas? Uh, on chapter 20, on Judas, or especially on Judas, but uh, let's move on to Jesus. Now, in verse 11, now, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? So there's that important title right. that Jesus is the ruler of, of the Jews. And Jesus says, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Right. And what the governor is probably expecting is him to defend himself, to look out for himself. That's right. And so there's a meekness here that he amazes.
1: That's right. And it's the same thing we saw in the trial... the trial, mm-hmm. um, yeah. with the Sanhedrin, uh, where when um, he's accused and he says, well, ask my witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about that then here, uh, or we talked about that then. I'd like to say something, though, about the last line. So that the governor was greatly amazed that Jesus had no answer. That language of being greatly amazed, um, in in the Greek, is Uh, the same word that's used in the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah, where we read, so he shall startle in the Greek version, same word there, Mm -hmm. many nations, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. And then we read that at the end of that passage, he opened not his mouth. And so here Jesus is presented as fulfilling Isaiah's suffering servant passage.
0: Now in the next scene, Uh, You know, we're told that the custom of Pilate as the governor uh, of Judea was to release one prisoner during the Passover Mm -hmm. um, as a kind of a little nod to the Jewish festivities of the Passover, which is being redeemed from from imprisonment in Egypt. And uh, he knows, it says he knew that I was out of envy that they delivered Jesus up to him. And of course, envy is their motivation. And that was <laughs> the sin of the devil. That's right. You know, so the, the original sin of the devil was envy.
1: And they're envious because the people follow him, because Jesus is able to work miracles, because Jesus teaches with authority that they don't have. And for all of these reasons, they envy Jesus, which is pretty silly, right? I mean, he is the Lord, right? They they want to put themselves in the place of God, which is ultimately what Adam and Eve are guilty of in the Garden of Eden. They want to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, only God declares what is good and evil in Genesis. So they want to be like God without God. And what's remarkable is the, the the governor gives them a choice. There are two individuals brought out, right? There's, of course, Jesus of Nazareth,
0: and then there's also Barabbas. And that name Barabbas is very significant, it isn't really it? It really is, because you know, in Aramaic, Barabbas means Bar, son, Abba, the Father. So literally Barabbas means son of the father. And so you have an alternative here: Jesus, who's the true son of the father and Barabbas, who is a counterfeit son of the father, because mm-hmm. Bar- uh, Barabbas' way is violent revolution. That's the right. way you resist the fourth beast. Right,
1: that's not actually said in Matthew, but we know that from the Gospel of Mark, where yeah. in the Gospel of Mark, we read that Barabbas was one of those who had committed murder in the insurrection, right? So he wanted to rise up and overtake the Romans, so his solution to the Roman problem is... Benjamin Franklin, God helps those who help themselves, right? If we want to be free from the Romans, we're going to have to take up the sword. Jesus gives us a different way.
0: Yeah, because the goal that Jesus is going to have is the conversion of Rome. Right. And you can't convert by killing the people that you're trying to convert. You can't right. do it. And uh, now it's interesting, we, we, you know, Matthew gives us the story of Pilate's wife coming and saying, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I had a right. dream about him. and uh, And so, you know, but Pilate... Uh, is stuck, if he's... Go ahead.
1: Yeah, he, he, you're right. He's stuck. But before we say that, one thing I, I just want to say is they put it to a vote. And I always like to highlight that Jesus lost the only election he was ever in, right? <laughs> because I think a lot of people imagine that the way we're going to redeem the world is through politics. And the reality is Jesus doesn't save the world by running an election. Jesus saves the world by being persecuted, by suffering, by offering his life in love. And so what we see in the story is the crowd chooses Barabbas, which is pretty significant. They choose the way of, if you will, revolution, Revolution, Mm -hmm. instead of choosing the way of Jesus. And in fact, the the chief priests are the ones who instigate the crowd. So we we need to remember that uh, we read in Matthew 27, 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And of course, Jesus says earlier, he talks about blind guides. If you have a blind guide, you're going to be led into a pit. That's precisely what's happening here, right? We have wicked leadership in Jerusalem, and they're leading the people astray to make a very, very bad choice, obviously, the worst possible choice.
0: And what we're going to see in verse 24, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. <laughs> Notice that blood has been major a theme. major theme here. Major motif. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to say anything more about that, but right. that's,
1: I mean obviously it's it's very significant that Jesus is portrayed as the righteous one who is killed right and he is sort of the culmination of all the blood that's been spilled at the same time we find blood in the upper room where Jesus explains that it's his blood that is the blood of the covenant, the blood that redeems the world. And so we have this amazing contrast. On the one hand, it's the most outrageous crime of of all history, right? Deicide, right? To, To kill the Son of God, right? And then at the same time, Jesus is able to bring redemption of the world through that terrible crime. And it shows us that God is able to bring great good out of even the worst evil. So oftentimes in our life, we might wonder, God, why did you permit this in my life? Why have you allowed such injustice, such you know, such horrors in the world to exist? We don't know the answer to all the, to all of the particulars, but we do know that God has a plan, and we know that even out of the worst crime, the crucifixion of the Son of God, the Lord brings good.
0: Mm. That is so true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to step back and look at the big picture here. As this crowd is 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 shouting for Barabbas, right. Pilate realizes a, a riot is about to break <laughs> it's out. It's so important. Yeah. And it was very important for Roman governors. One of the, the first principles for governing in the Roman Empire, because you're governing an empire of subjugated people, right? Mm-hmm. So you're the occupier if you're Rome. And it was very, very important, if you're a Roman governor to be successful, that you wouldn't have riots. <laughs> riots destroy property, they destroy economic good, and they risk Roman, Roman rule. Mm-hmm. And so the worst thing that could happen is a riot. In fact, when you read Acts of the Apostles, one of the things that people do to fight Paul is they make a riot break out. That's right. Because he may not be guilty of a crime, but if they say, well, this riot broke out and because of you... He was there. He yeah. could be arrested. That's right. Right? So... Uh, that was really important. And governors would be relieved and taken out of duty if too many riots happened in their cities and territory. So pilots becoming afraid. And I want people to understand why pilots becoming afraid. It's because a riot is about to break out. And that news goes back to Rome. And that that's a black mark on his... Uh, reputation and on his reign.
1: And there had been riots already under him, right? So he was already uh, on a short lease, right? And his uh,
0: predecessor, uh, um, you know, the reason why there's Roman governors in Judea Mm -hmm. is because the son of Herod the Great... Uh, Archelaus was removed because so many major riots broke out. Mm. And Rome said, all right, you can't obviously run a province. We're going to send the professionals in to do that. So there's a lot of pressure on Pilate to make sure that there's not a riot. And the worst time for a riot is during one of the three (laughs) great festivals. And of course, one of the significant ones here is Passover. And so there's over a million pilgrims probably crowding into the city and its districts. And so this is a very dangerous time for the mm-hmm. Romans, having so many people in such a short area, where there's already, you know, people fermenting revolution like Barabbas.
1: Well, especially Passover time, right? Because Passover was a time when they looked back to when they were liberated from mm-hmm.
0: from Occupiers Egypt and, and so from there. Were, oppressors. Yeah,
1: there was a, a a great sense of hope that God would bring redemption again, in particular at a Passover.
0: Yeah, that's important background. And now, if you've seen the Mel Gibson's movie there's a lot of powerful things that Mel Gibson does in that movie and there's a lot of brilliant things but one of the historical errors i believe he has is he shows the fortress antonio opening its gates and this jewish crowd coming into the fortress antonio <laughs> i can guarantee you that during the passover the romans did not open up the fortress antonio for the jewish high priest and a mob of jews to come into the fortress antonio so the fortress
1: of antonio the fortress antonio is Right next to the temple, and it's where the, the Roman guard would have been
0: stationed. Exactly, and so right. when Herod the Great built it, he built it as, as a refuge. If he ever went into the <laughs> right. temple, yeah. he could escape quickly to a fortress, and in his fortress, he could overlook the large crowds and make sure there, there's no mischief going on. And so the crowd is gathering in the outer court of the temple, where you could hit fit tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people in that outer courtyard, and so there's a large crowd of the tens of thousands shouting and yelling and building in the temple as more and more people gather to. And, and of course, there's a, probably a lot of people uh, gathering in that crowd that don't know that this is a choice between Barabbas and Jesus. They just know that the that all of a sudden the chief priests and the security guard of the temple is telling everybody run over to the north side of the right. temple and shout. And then, of course, their anger, their nationalism against Rome is fermenting and whipping up the crowd, and thus Pilate's becoming very, very anxious. And that's why he's going to act against his best judgment.
1: Right. And and so he says he's innocent of this man's blood and washes his hands of the blood so he doesn't take responsibility for his obvious uh, error here. Uh, we also, I should also mention, don't, you mentioned Mel Gibson's movie, so let me mention another one. Um, Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth, classic film, portrays this in ways that I, I can't get out of my head. Every time I pray the mysteries of the rosary, I think of one particular scene, and it's when they go to the crowd, Pilate says, who do you want, Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas, right? Do you want the son of the father, Jesus, or Barabbas, the The son of the father, the counterfeit, if you will, son of the father. And we know from Matthew that uh, the chief priests were telling people, pick Barabbas. Well, there's this great scene where Mary Magdalene, who's horrified at seeing Jesus arrested, he's been beaten, and she sees him standing up there and she's just overwhelmed with emotion when they bring him out. Then the crowd starts calling out Barabbas and she puts her hand over these other people who are around her and she calls out Jesus, give us Jesus. And it is just so heartbreaking because the camera zooms out and it's so futile, right? All the crowd is calling Barabbas and she's doing all that she can to try to secure the release of Jesus. And obviously this doesn't happen. I like to put myself in Mary Magdalene's shoes here, right? Um, Not that she was wearing shoes, but sandals maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from her perspective, how is this happening, right? How is... The Son of God, the one who has healed so many people, the one who has won so many people over by His message of love, how is He now in this position? It seems like darkness has descended, and yet we know that God has a plan. And so looking at Mary Magdalene, meditating on Mary Magdalene, uh, brings me great comfort because Mm -hmm. there are lots of times in my life where it seems like things are happening that don't make any sense, right? Yeah.
0: Then when we conclude with verse 26, it says, you know... um, Then he released for them Barabbas, Mm -hmm. and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Yep. And so now we're going to, uh, in verse 27, we're going to get a close-up now of what the soldiers do to our Lord. Right. So then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisted together a crown of thorns... They put it on his head and put a reed on his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, Mm -hmm. and struck him on the head. Mm -hmm. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him.
1: So we should just mention here, because it's one of the mysteries of the rosary. And I know when we pray the mysteries of the rosary, Mm -hmm. we need things to meditate on. That scene of the scourging of Jesus, one line but it is hugely significant. Uh, scourging was excessively brutal in the ancient world. Um, Seneca is a famous Roman writer, and he, he, he's asking whether or not it's ever permissible to commit suicide. He's a philosopher, and he's saying, well, yes, there is at least one instance, right, where it would be acceptable to commit suicide, in his view, and that is if you were sentenced to crucifixion. And he describes what crucifixion is like. He says, Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, letting out his life drop by drop rather than expiring once and for all? He says, Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long, sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest? What is he talking about here? The effects of scourging why is a person already deformed when they get to the cross because the scourging was so brutal as Josephus tells us first century historian there was a man named another Jesus Jesus son of Ananias when he was when he was scourged it says they flayed to the bone they flayed him to the bone with the scourges you could see his bones that's how how brutal the scourging punishment was this is what Jesus undergoes and then of course there's the crown of thorns which also, has tremendous significance they're mocking him this is what crucifixion was all about it was what they call par- par- parodic exaltation a parody of exalting you right
0: yeah and the, the tree by which they got those thorns you can see it in Israel today uh, especially if you go down the Mount of Olives even halfway down the, that hill there is a church with Dominus Flevit, where Christ wept and they have a what is called a Christ thorn tree and those thorns, Are can be several inches Mm -hmm. long, and they're I've I've held them. They're very very strong, very very strong. And so these would pierce deeply into Christ's uh, head and cause a lot of bleeding and a lot of great pain. Because there's
1: so much blood in pressure in your head, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a kid, everyone's bleed. Right. When I I remember when I got was a kid, I was playing with a cousin of mine with toy swords, and uh, he hit me in the head with one of these tour swords, and I just bled everywhere. I had a white t-shirt on. My, my mother just about fainted. And we had to go to the emergency room. I needed st- staples in my head, which explains a lot, actually. Uh, but your head bleeds, I mean, it, profusely. And so the, 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 the crown of thorns is no minor detail here. Um, it is a tremendous act of humility and love for Christ to give himself over to this kind of torment.
0: Let me head you off there uh, and say that uh, now we're entering into the heart of the passion of Christ. And so Mm -hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to cover the crucifixion of our Lord in our next episode. And here we have Jesus crowned with thorns. And so we have uh, really the the second and third Sorrowful Mysteries that we've Mm -hmm. just covered, you know, the scourging of Jesus at the pillar. And of course, you can just think about that Mel Gibson movie that really makes it quite evident and... uh, Really powerful scene, uh, how much our Lord suffered for love of us, and then his crowning with thorns. And of course, we've seen the title of him, King of the Jews. And that title will keep coming up. And here we have again, Jesus being mocked as king. What kind of king allows himself to be captured? What kind of king allows himself to be vulnerable and to be crowned with thorns? And that's going to be uh, the radical way in which Jesus is going to reign as king. He's going to bring great good. He's suffering much, but always remember he's loving even more than mm. he's suffering. Mm. And that's, that's what we want to always take away from any reflection on the passion of our Lord, where it's always good to... Um, and edifying in the end to, to, to realize how much Christ suffered, but always in light of the fact that Jesus loved and was loving more than he was suffering. Mm. And, uh, and he was suffering because he loved you and me so much. And so we have a lot to give thanks to our Lord for. Uh, And I want to thank everybody who supports us through the Mission Circle, all of our donors that allow us to have this ministry. We're grateful to you, pray for you every day, and we ask you to pray for us. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. You can watch this Bible study in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press. With award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.